Hello everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Human Pod. I'm Rahmat Hidayat, and thank you for joining me. Today we're going to talk about UI and UX. A lot of people probably have already heard about this. There are even new job titles based on it, such as design technologist or UX engineer. But what is it exactly? Today, I've invited two experts all the way from Dubai. One is Amit, one of my best friends from my past, and the other one is Flo. We've met briefly a year back in Tokyo, also through Amit. We're going to take a deep dive into UI and UX and hopefully have a better understanding at the end of these discussions. But first, the introductions. Uh, we met uh, when we were working at uh, Leo Burnett mm-hmm. in uh, Dubai, and that, this was back in 2011, I guess. So the reason why I was there uh, when I was working for uh, the digital agencies is because I was working as a front-end programmer. Uh, typically, a lot of uh, work at that time was uh, Flash, mm-hmm. uh, as, as most people uh, during our generation will know that as. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I was, um, I, I used to be, uh, you know, in my previous life, or professional life, I used to be a programmer for the longest time. And um, I was an engineer, and then I moved on to uh, doing front end programming. That's when I started working with uh, digital agencies. And it's only recently, maybe about, about like five years ago, that I decided to completely switch to uh, <clears throat> Uh, user uh, experience, user interaction, product design, but then we'll talk about that a bit later. Uh, at what stage uh, did I feel that it was uh, you know time for me to move a little ahead in the uh, process? So uh, yeah, that's pretty much uh, yeah, an intro nice. from my side. So yeah. pass it on to Mr. Flow. 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 <clears throat> Hi guys, uh, I'm I'm a bit less experienced than you than you are. Um, but I'll, I'll catch up, I promise. <laughs> um, yeah, I started, uh, started working in UX about the same time as I met like that. That would be a bit, yeah, five years ago now. Um, when to me, it sounded like um, something that I might want to do five years down the line. And that was like then I'm, I'm talking about. So um, I'm, I'm five years ahead of my time I met. That's great. Uh, I came from digital marketing. So that, was, that was, felt like a bit of a leap. But absolutely loved it. I actually found the, the job that I wanted to do. Like really, I can tell now. <laughs> it's great having fun every day at work. Almost, almost. <laughs> so you're yeah. from uh, Paris? Um, oh yeah, I'm French, but I'm not from Paris. I'm like from the um, from the south, a place called Bordeaux. Uh, oh, okay. Just, just beautiful. If you haven't seen it yet, check it out. It's it's pretty much worth it. I see. It's the place where you see all the wines come from in the Hollywood movies. It's like the Bordeaux wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard it a lot from the movies. Yeah, man. Uh, like uh, the other day, I landed like in uh, in Cape Town, and uh, those guys had put uh, "Welcome to the Wine Capital of the World." I was like, "Wait a minute! <laughs> Is yeah. this supposed to be our title?" Fuck you! Like, who who the hell are you to call yourself Wine Capital of the World? Well, I come to the birthplace uh, of wine, probably. <laughs> But to be fair, I had some pretty, really, pretty, pretty nice wine over there. So maybe they come second. <laughs> I see. So and then Dubai, it was something that you want to go. Oh yeah, always. I love right. the sun. Pretty much like you, you know, like like what you have. 
behind yes. you is what happens <laughs> if you open the door. Okay, thank you guys for the introductions. So the next question would be the UI and UX definitions. Maybe we can start from that. And I'll just say, yeah, this is exactly what I was saying. We both mean this. No, I was looking for a nice like comparison. <laughs> you know, it's just like if you if you marry someone, it's just like you know the the UI would be like how great they look at first sight and how are the first five dates go, and and UX is the actual interaction that we have with them. Once you get rid of all that shit, it's like does it still work? <laughs> <laughs> The, the experience really is, is some people say it's, it's, it's broader, but doesn't really matter. Like the, the, I would say if, if you want to distinguish both, although they completely work hand in hand, but one is more about the actual interactions that you're going to have. So are you going to touch something? Are you going to listen to it? Are you going to speak to it? Mm -hmm. And the experience is, is going to focus a bit more on how everything is organized does it come in logical sequence do i show you the right information at the right time and do i show you too much do i not show you enough so it's going to be more about organizing and everything that happens before you have to make an interaction it's it's a bit more in the background i don't know if before is the best way to put it but i, I would say it's in terms of um how much it's facing you it's it's one layer behind so it's it's there you see it all the time but it's not what you see directly oh. um, example would be examples of components of, of, of UX <clears throat> one of the one of the things that is canonical is how the content is organized and and uh, what what type of information we're going to show you um, in which sequence Amit what's your thoughts on that um, <clears throat> yeah I mean like my I, I, I wouldn't know like you know when I know someone asked me about like you know what's the definition of things I'm, I'm, I'm shit at reading definitions and quoting from you know what what the definitions are but in terms of uh, saying what my understanding was like you know because how I started into UX like you know Ramat would know that you know back in the day when we used to do like a lot of flash websites it was it was purely focused on uh, you know how things were moving it was all about interaction how much was animation everything was you know moving here and that time we used to figure out okay how, how will like let's say a menu on a website will open and all of that so it was great you know it was it was fantastic because you know that that almost like was a foundation for all the interaction that we see today in all of these uh, you know applications or any kind of uh, you know any kind of interface that you have for uh, either products or whatever but um, this may sound a bit cliche but as as most people their introduction or uh, you know the the, uh, the 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 spark or the light for ux it, it 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 came about when people started reading like one book or whatever and for me honestly it was the design of everyday things uh, it's a book by uh, you know don norman don norman so for me uh, the definition of it was like when i started reading about the book it actually um, made me go back and look at all the things that I was using on a daily basis because everything like that you use, you know, your product, anything, your phone, a glass, anything, your door handle, all of that, which, which you never looked at because it was, it was there for it to work. It was working. So for me to understand UX was when I, when I read that it was for me to take a step back and relook at everything that was designed 
and then he actually started thinking like holy shit this was actually made to work in a certain way so for for me the definition was you know i mean you know, moving ux to let's say a, 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 a an app or a website was was just one one uh, you know adaptation but ux as such it came it came about way before you know when when someone designed like the first weapon how was a bow and arrow working how was an axe working did it have a handle and all of that so all of that for me like you know i, I just went way back you know I, i went way back into like holy shit you know if it's about ux it's like how are you using what is what is it that you do that makes something usable so i went yeah. really down to basics and that's what that's how i started looking at everything you know in terms of you know why why does you, why do you have a bottle this way why does why is a bottle neck that uh, you know much shorter than the actual bottle that holds a liquid or why why is why is the design of something the way it is why so i think for me the definition for me it was like okay you know you go back and question things and then that that sort of gives you more answers of uh, you know why why things are supposed to be the way it is and when you understand that fundamental philosophy and then you start questioning the same thing every time you're do, doing an interface it gives you gives you answers about how something should work it gives you answers about how you should second guess what the user may want to do after this so for me a lot of that has worked in that way my definition i know it's a very long definition it's not a definition this <laughs> <laughs> is a thought process which uh, i took you back way back to like a caveman how he thought about it but yeah this this was my understanding of ux and i never came from like a design school background mm-hmm. so i i i had to or rather i took the other way where i understood it from a completely you know very base fundamental uh, uh, you know perspective and th- that book really helped me I this see, is what I, I do now on a daily basis i just keep looking and observing and it's almost like earlier when i when i finished that it was more uh, conscious process now it's become very subconscious like i i observe things on a very subconscious level every day so that's very interesting i mean what is trying to say that ui and ux is not limited only to screens but also apps and websites it sort of transcends human experience a connection between human and their environment how they interact with that environment using what kind of tools um having said that architect just came to my mind um architect when they design a room for instance they need to think about the environment could architect can be called as ui and ux expert absolutely absolutely in fact the basis of ux is architecture architecture is about you know spaces and you know how you how how best you make use of your space and even when you're talking about you know doing a website or an app you 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 actually relate to the available space as real estate that is what mm-hmm. we call and and architecture forms the basis of user experience your entry you know door and whatever it it's pretty much right you're right that's what it is i see we creatures that um, yeah. that process the information in a sequence right well while our brain is like focused on 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 capturing a lot of information at the same time and make it making your body work like i'm breathing i'm talking i'm doing all those things i'm staying up all all, all this information because so much is already happening your brain tends to focus on one bit of information at a time and the fact that there's a sequence 
means that you need a story. And that's how we, we work. So when we speak, when we interact with something, there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. So, for instance, if you look at this mouse, sorry, it's actually it's called a trackball. Um, <laughs> actually, there's no, there's no motion of the wrists. For instance, it's very helpful. I got that when I got a wrist injury at some point, like that was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's a beginning. There's, there's the moment where you put your hand and you, and, you, and you grab that. That is supposed to be matching the shape of your hand. And mm -hmm. I mean, it was referring to ergonomics before. But also the texture. Mm. Does, how does it feel? So that, that's part of the experience, you know? That's, that it's like, how does it feel when I touch that thing for the first time? Is it comfortable for my hand? Is it pleasurable? Uh, pleasurable is the surface, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, it's, supposed, it's, it's, one of the, it's, it's one of the key key dimensions when you when you design. It's, you're going to spend a lot more time interacting with an object or a person if um, you experience nice sensations and, and, and you get nice, your brain sends you all these positive uh, emotions when you when you're interacting with them so for instance when you speak with Ahmed and you listen to all his caveman stories he's smiling and all of you get excited and like, okay that's that's a cool guy so the same way like when you speak with a person there's like the message but there's also the way it's delivered it's going to be very similar with a with a web page with a mouse with a bottle with whatever it is uh, with a story there's there's what you talk about and what you should talk about and in which sequence and again um, that's that's a very important part. That's all the architecture that Emmett was talking talking about, and then there's more we, what we call like the the interaction itself. Is like how is it delivered? Is it what emotions is it creating me? And I think that's why the experience goes beyond. Um, when when we think of experience, there's there's a lot of parameters that come into account, right? Did it make sense? Uh, was it relevant to me? Uh, was it too long? Was it too short? Was it boring? Uh, and Avoiding all those traps put together give you an experience. This is usually a very simple definition uh, that they use also in uh, to to define what happiness is. Uh, it applies also to to experience. It's the difference between the reality that you experience and your expectations. And so that means that um, if you Anything have very yeah, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. Anything that comes very close to your expectation is what eventually makes you kind of happy. Exactly. So, and, and if, even if, if you manage to somehow exceed it by introducing a little something, you, you cover the basics and then you introduce this little extra that is noticeable and relevant and, and pleasurable, mm -hmm. and then this is how you can start thinking, oh, okay, this is a good experience. And you feel it, right? You're like, oh, shit. That's, that's what we try to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I like when you say that human brains sort of breaks down complexity into the simplest form. I think, yes, it, it's something that we do every day subconsciously, right? And I think, if I'm not mistaken, in UIUX, it's called the Hicks Law. Um, while we in this topic of laws, um, I've discovered recently uh, there are several UIUX laws, not only Hicks, the one that I've mentioned, but let's say a law of common region or a lot of our oakum razors um, but then again these laws is it's sort of something that not applicable uh, in all situations right you probably need to sort of differentiate depending on the situations uh, my question would be how would you do that okay i'm gonna i'm gonna cut amit and start yeah, no, <laughs> there's, okay. a very, there's, there's a very simple example behind me 
So if you if you were to make groups of post-its, you see there's a few post-its behind me. Mm -hmm. How would you how would you let, let's let's say you have to make three groups? Can you make three groups out of the post-its that you see? Uh, colors, sorry, okay. colors. Uh, what else? <laughs> what the else? Rows and columns. The rows and columns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and colors. And then positions, I think. Mm -hmm. That's yep. three ideas. Huh? Okay, great. Huh? So you, that, that that's actually like three ways that you have of of, of making groups very very uh, intuitively. Like um, a friend the other day was asking me, what this design thing like? Is there any kind of thinking behind it? <laughs> I was like, well, you'd be surprised. But it's sometimes best told by example, and your eye tends to say, oh, here's a group like you said by color group one and then group two and so on. There's another which you mentioned, which is position, right? So you could say, oh, there's a group of post-its there and mm -hmm. there's another one there. Um, and you could even argue that all those there belong to the same because they are inside a brown rectangle. Mm -hmm. So there, there's uh, what we call law of uniformity, there's law of connectedness. Oh, yeah. And these are patterns that, that your eye and your brain creates they don't exist, huh? by the way, there's no, I mean, there's, there's no such thing as the group of pink guys. We just make it up, but our, we do it intuitively because that's how our eyes are trained to make mm -hmm. sense of the world. It's, it, that's how your eye distinguishes between the sands that you can walk on and the tree and the waves that you can get wet from. So because our brain is used to associating objects and, and separating things, understanding this, is what gives, uh, for instance, when you design a page, when you design an object, you need to, to, to go and say, wait a second. What, you remember when I was saying there's a story in a sequence? What mm -hmm. is my story? I want to first get people to see the beach. Then I want mm -hmm. people to walk on it. Then I want people to get and, and swim. Mm -hmm. And then I want, get, I want them to drive. Um, and if you want to take people through a story and get them to experience a story in the way that you intend them mm -hmm. to, you need to understand how they, what they will see first, what they will see second. And you use the, the principles like this to make sure that, hey, okay, they, when they see all those bits of information, if I use this color coding, if I use this placement, if I use this hierarchy, they will process this as one bit of information. They can then decide to skip or to focus on. And that is how you use this this architecture using what we call the Gestalt principles. There is, there is actually tied back to psychology in the mm -hmm. early 20th century. When those guys paused for a second and said, wait, let us figure out how the hell our brain processes information and decides that these two are one block and these two are another block. It doesn't exist, but we all agree when we see when we see that. So law of connectedness, law of uniformity. These are things that I, th I think are very prevalent and it helps us, you know, say, this is how you build things. There's, there's tons more, but um, usually these are very intuitive ones. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I couldn't, I couldn't explain it any better than uh, Flo has done. So, so going back to what you were asking where, you know, are there anything favorite and all? I don't mm -hmm. think uh, it's more about whether you like one over the other. It is basically how effectively are you using any of these, you know, fundamentals to uh, basically, you know, create anything. I mean, typically talking about user interfaces and all, 
all of that like having all of these as your you know at the back of your mind whenever you are you know putting things together the more you have this thing as a base the more better your interface will be it it's it's never to say that what you've created is the best there is no best as such it mm-hmm. is something that okay that works better than the other something like that it's it's how effective something is and and the more, the more effective it is which means you have you've understood all of you know you've understood and you've done enough to create something that works for most people if you can do that which means you've solved you know or delivered a solution or crafted a solution for let's say 80% of the people and that's i, I would say that's that's great achievement what do you think maybe so i'll say i don't know how much 80% is less or more but i think if you can solve and have 80% of people agree to what you've done in in a in a much effective way and if they don't have issues using what you've done i think you've done your bit so when you're talking about 80% 20% you're talking about the internet audience right I agree with that uh, because when you're designing a website, you cannot fulfill the, the entire demographic of human being, for instance, because people who, let's say, love cars, they have a, a different expectation with people, let's say, a teenagers. Um, a TikTok, let's say. A TikToks, maybe if you, if you try to sell it to an older people, people who are conservatives, they wouldn't be able to use it. But then again, My question would be is how would you plan that let's say if you have a website how would you determine that uh, let's say um this website only needs um uh, uh, blue buttons because um people will visit this it's it's uh, an older man or people only care about cars so most importantly what you mentioned was is understanding your audience and mm-hmm. a lot of the decision making plays into it like i'll just give you a very quick example like let's say you know this is something which we've known uh whenever we we were actually working on um, uh, a site for uh, an airline you know it was a mm-hmm. budget airline mm-hmm. now if you see the kind of target audience who goes for a budget airline as opposed to someone who you know likes to fly a little bit premium mm-hmm. the one thing was there was a need to not make the website so rich and so clean and so amazing mm-hmm. because anyone who came to the website even if they didn't know whether the site was budget or not at the back of their mind they started thinking okay this is too clean and this is too premium which is out of my league like mm-hmm. i wouldn't be able to afford it mm-hmm. although the site was cheap uh, the, the the site was selling flights which were cheaper but because the website looked too crisp and clean and premium to the same target audience they said okay this is not going to work so that's why you know the guys who are uh, you know the decision makers they said no no we can't have this he said like why i mean this is this is we are you know we are doing the best uh, design possible it's like it's not about the best my my customers i mean this this all came out of the research saying it looks it looks like a very expensive airline and that was purely because how how crisp and clean the site looked mm-hmm. it is very important to keep this not that i'm saying that they, you need to make the site look shitty and shabby mm-hmm. but then it can't be looking it it couldn't be looking too crisp and clean mm-hmm. because you know people associate the whole you know crisp fine lines golden lines here and there with okay something is premium and something is you know i don't connect to that it's rich it's it's costly it's expensive 
so which mm. is why that thing was very important to you know keep in mind and then we had to like tone down the design and which is so going back to it like it is really really important who you are designing it for and uh, you know you know you, you need to know your audience which is what i think this is a very predominant problem most people they miss this out like oh, we don't care i mean it's very typical of you know a lot of these managers are like oh i know my user which is like the most you know stupid statement anyone can make i know my people no fuck you you don't you don't you absolutely don't so you know understanding that and designing for people is is it should be your premise and that's how it will work no matter like if you see craigslist or if you see the amazon uh, menu it mm-hmm. is absolutely cluttered the more ux is evolved you want to make things cleaner you want to give like you know spacing and you know you want to like space things out and whatever but it does not work like amazon anyone who was on craigslist or whatever they still use the cluttered interface and it works for them they didn't change and they don't have problems the point is they want to retain customers they want to, they don't want to do it cleaner and lose the customers that were used to the earlier thing so they kept it the way it was yeah that's that's a good point so you guys remember dig dig was pretty famous um back in the days um i used to Uh, use that website as well you know constantly in on the weekends and checking out all the new memes um but then again they made an awful redesign well, it wasn't awful per se because it was pretty modern pretty simple i mean they thought that it was really nice but then again their user base hated it a lot of people were complaining there was you know tweet hate speech on this tweet i don't know whether the twitter is was was uh it was all it exists back then but then again it was chaos and gradually people left the, their platform and then you know s- a lot of people switch to reddit and that's just because one simple des- designed change no because it, it's almost like okay you you understand your users and no matter what happens if your users are used to it if they are used to it, like look at reddit today reddit has mm. not changed as much reddit yeah, is you have shit ton of information they could have very well easily you know adapted some kind of new ux by having like you know tiles and making things cleaner i mean but they they would have lost their user base it is the same and which is why reddit is still there at the top it is still having that you know very core reddit custom user base and you know when you read the reddit comments and all you know that these are very hardcore reddit uh, you know like these customers a hardcore reddit users you can very well distinguish so sometimes you really need to know when when it's really important to change things just because you want to be with the trend or mm-hmm. you should identify my fucking trend actually worked for me and i i won't change it so that's a very big decision mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the the, the case of change is is very good design is always very human because we the, 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 we design for humans right like in, in almost everything we do although if you design product for cats do some research with cats i just i just think it's it's about personality um in in what you you've mentioned about people being used to specific designs mm-hmm. it's true with, if you think about a, a, a band right you have two types of bands you have the bands who uh wants to always reinvent themselves artistically and, and and try and be different because that's their own story 
and that's more like the artistic type of band. And you also have the more commercial band that is going to tend to work until they find one genre that really, really works well. And then they're going to milk it to death. Um, that is because when, as a band, when you change your style, you're kind of letting your audience down because you have all those people that, that, that loved you for a specific reason and you're kind of turning your back to them and saying, no, I need to be different, something now. You say, yeah, but that's why I love you. It's like, it's the same with, with friends. When, when friends change, uh, if they change radically, you know, like old friends tend to reject them because or they, they say, oh, no, but this doesn't suit you, this new hairstyle or like this completely, oh, you've changed. And, and it's not so much that we don't like change. It's just that when there's something that you like, like you were saying about your traditional designs in Japan, or your site, it's 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 hard to to depart very strongly from that. You need to be very gradual. It's the same with brands in general. Mm. Uh, we talk about a lot of things. So we talk about uh, UX definitions, um, how to evaluate the markets, how to sort of separate your audience and your designs. Uh, the next question would be. What does it take to become a UX and UI expert? Uh, obviously, design knowledge. But then again, if you see Google, uh, they have something called UX engineer. So when I see their um, description, job description, you see sort of you need, to, apart from designs, you need also coding skills. Um, I think just like in any job, it takes passion, if you mm -hmm. want to do it right. Um, like, like I mentioned at the beginning, like I came from uh, digital marketing. So it's not like I had like years of experience by definition, but I, I worked my way there in the sense that, for instance, I was doing all those uh, night classes on Coursera. Uh, there are probably still today some very good classes out there. I'm sure there's some even better ones now. Um, and then you, like for instance, in my case, I had to make sacrifices, right? Like I, I, I took the 50% pay cut, which is something that you might be like, holy shit. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that's uh, that's the reality as well. Like when you, I'm, I'm sure that Amit can, can relate as well, is um, think of it like an investment, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you're not gonna transition exactly making simple decisions. So you have to know what you want. Um, so I would say it takes determination, both in uh, getting your skills there, it's going to take time. And uh, you might have yeah to make a few sacrifices. If you don't have to, that's great. But if, if you really want it, just be ready for it. And then you'll make up for it eventually. But um, I would say if you want to get into any industry, that probably applies there. Mm, I see. So yeah, that's pretty interesting. Again, passion is something that you always wanted, right? Um, if I may digress this a little bit, you were mentioning about how you took a 50% pay cut just to become a UI and UX expert. Well, from everybody's perspective, I think everybody can agree that that's a, a pretty huge pay cut. Um, yeah, like like when, when, I, when I knew what UX was, what it was about, I thought, oh, Breaking hell! That would be amazing if I could do that and be paid for it. Um, that's 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 just something I'd love to do. Um, especially like I love everything that has to do with with user research, 
um, we were just talking about it offline with Ahmed. Like, I love like ner nerding around and like trying to like learn stuff about stuff, mm. and 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 then apply it. And um, you know, love making stuff, love learning stuff, and having a job where you first are paid to learn and then paid to use that knowledge to make things. Mm. I was like, okay, uh, yeah, I'll do what it takes for that. <laughs> so, and, and, and then once you, you're aligned with your passion and you do something that you naturally feel inclined to, then, then you catch up. So in general, yeah, to, to add to Flo's point, the whole nerding part and nerding out about anything and uh, if if you are generally by nature you're curious about something and you you like to like read about things and uh, you know in, in general you know getting information about anything this this probably is one of the things it's very um, like quite satisfying in the end where you know you you really get you know that that whatever small amount of time to research before you actually make a decision so that that's good and uh, maybe someone who's not curious, they probably find the whole uh, research part as it's only like a box to check. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I do this to get whatever minimum or whatever basic information then I can go ahead. But if you really are someone who likes to get interested in, you know, like, let's say one thing, like uh, one of the things that has helped me is uh, that I can throw myself into any project in a completely different domain uh, about which I don't know any of it like you know may, maybe very little or none of it mm -hmm. and that for me right now after like maybe whatever number of years that i've spent in ux i find that most challenging and most exciting i see I, I get to i get to work into domains that i have no clue like i'm i'm working mm -hmm. right now on a project which is something got to do with oil and gas i didn't know anything but i've been always interested in it and this project Although I may be doing like maybe one very small part of the entire project, but mm -hmm. it is given enough time and it's, you know, the guys who I'm speaking to the, the subject matter experts or whoever these guys are, I'm asking them shit ton of questions. I'm understanding how oil is being drilled. What happens mm -hmm. from the point where you start drilling, how mm -hmm. the oil comes up, what are the kind of gases that are released? Mm -hmm. I don't need to know all this, but it is interesting. Okay. So the, the very fact that it lets me do this and, and it's a part of my job, I can't ask for anything else. Like that, that's very, way more satisfying. So do I you think what, mm -hmm. sorry, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Now the, 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 the parts that, that, that Amit has just described, I, I think is a, um, I think it's important to bear in mind that this applies specifically to consultancies and agencies, because if you work on the client side, that is uh, in the same you know company that focuses on one industry you won't get as much exposure to ux um on all those different industries so that's something also that has to do with the type of company that you're in um mm -hmm. but with that in mind um the the fact that Ahmed's going to go and care about how oil is extracted you have two types of people you have those that would go and say no but that that's a waste of time because you're just here to make an app or you're just here to create an experience. Mm -hmm. And I, I think what, what people like I mean understand is it's, it's going to make the difference between something 
that is generic and something mm-hmm. that is tailored and relevant. And mm-hmm. that's what makes an experience great, right? Is that it doesn't feel like, oh, okay. It's it, imagine like you go to to fantastic concert and it's, mm-hmm. it's an ex- excellent concert, okay? Uh, but it's about a music genre that you don't care about. Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't. Or imagine your favorite band makes an amazing concert, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have your favorite song in it. Mm-hmm. You would feel left out. Like it might be the their their best performance ever, but it mm-hmm. doesn't have that emotional connection. That is no. It's the song that I heard uh-huh. when I was traveling with my friend, and and it reminds me of that, which is why I get the chills when I think about it. So that it's not just the fact that you do something generic and perfect. It's the fact that you went into understanding how everything works, so that you you get to deliver that one thing that is absolutely relevant to oil or mm-hmm. absolutely relevant to healthcare mm-hmm. and therefore to the people that use that service. So it's, 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 it, I think it makes a big difference when you care to that point and where you can use and, and uh, as a nice byproduct of, of that job, well, you get to learn shit tons about shit tons of different industries, which is fantastic as well. I'll admit it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never, it's never that one size fits all. Like if, the, the one thing that I've, you know, w- w- most people speak about, even consultants say, uh, like because they, they look at consultants as someone who is, um, uh, you know, someone who's, who will take knowledge or interest in some subject, which is only skin deep and try to give you a solution. Mm-hmm. So you have people like that because you are a consultant and all you have to do is it's mostly repurposing solution that you've given to one per, one company or something to someone else by making like a slide in the same way or something like that. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's not uh, that it's not how it works. It does work that way, which is why a lot of these, you know, people who are very core into, you know, either, either whatever kind of subject or whatever kind of industry they are in, they don't see uh, typically like the way consulting is because you only get, a little, you know, as skin deep and that you, you think you know enough to give a solution. And it's very right that unless and until you do not dig a little deeper, you will, you will not be in a position to know whether what you've given is right. And most people don't think like that. Most consultants don't think like that. I, I could be generalizing this a lot, but, but this is what, this is typically what I found. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Amit, how many times have you found a project where as you come, people tell you, oh, yeah, we've been working with Agency X or Consultant Y before. And what they did was just like, why are we paying you for this? So there is a lot of that happening. Uh, sorry, can you actually answer the question? <laughs> did that happen a lot to you? Uh, I mean, like here, what I see is how um, maybe not so much that I hear like the other company has done this and that. but I tend to see, uh, you know, in generally, like when, when you speak to consultants, a lot of it is, you know, when you, when you look at like, let's say slides that are made by another consulting company that comes to us as a research, they have done shit ton of research. You'll have like this one slide, which has, you know, 130 slides in it, like one, one PDF at 130 and it's loaded packed with information, but it's like, I mean, it's, you just dumped all everything that you, it's a brain dump mm-hmm. and it doesn't really, doesn't really help. And all you've done that is when you want to use the same thing for another company, all you do is you change the logo, you change a few things here and there and just deliver the same dish in a, in a different way. 
So it's not tailor-made, you know, it's, it's like, you know, reselling the same shit to another company. And I don't think, you know, that, that doesn't work for me typically because maybe, maybe I'm a different kind of a person. I don't come from that kind of a background. That is why I, I need to know way more than expected about something for me to even tell you, okay, whether you should use green color or blue. And people are saying, why the fuck do you want to know all these things? Like, no, maybe whatever it is, it's my thing. I need to know. It may, it may, I, I still will end up at only one color at the end of the day. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot more than, you know, just suggesting a color, mm-hmm. but I'm saying that you know, it's, it's good to have that curiosity where you want to know a little more about what you're working for, because I think it'll, it'll still, at the end of the day, you'll still be able to give some kind of an informed decision. You've done a little bit of that research. It'll help. In my experience, that's how it's helped me today. Yeah, to, go, go, to go back to your initial question, Rahmad, you were asking about, you know, what, what, what kind of, what does it take? Or, and I agree with what I meant that it's, uh, if you're comfortable uh, doing the work so that you can become the most knowledgeable person in the room about that thing when you're talking mm-hmm. and un- understanding that you have people that have been doing this for a long time and they will shut you down if if you don't meet that level mm-hmm. yeah uh, and you have to be willing to to take a little bit of beating at the beginning because mm-hmm. you are just learning about let's say oil and gas and mm-hmm. those people have no but you have to suck it up and quickly work your way to to knowing on that specific whatever affects your scope at least as much and usually the way you get to 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 know more is by doing a lot of research on what other companies are doing or what their users are struggling with because typically this these are things that they don't know and the third thing is to involve it, this is not a, a, a type of job that you do by yourself it's not you versus the client or you versus the people you're designing for it's a, it's a team effort and so you have to leverage as much as you can expert knowledge from people that are available to you mm. and turn that endeavor of oh i'm trying to know as much as i've found the most information and i'm capable of tapping into this source this source this source this source like that so you become kind of this central knowledge hub because to 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 create a good experience you need to understand so many aspects of the business Mm -hmm. and the users so knowledge does go a long way but it doesn't come easy so if i can summarize um in order to become a good ui unix expert you need one passion right and then the second one is sort of like how would you convince your clients that your design is good or not and by that you need to absorb all the information that client gives you and not only in the source, but sort of need to select which one is important and how you translate that into your designs. Is that correct? So there was the bit, this bit of an old school mindset, you know, before like people had this conception that uh, consultancies or agencies are those guys that just walk in and trying to show off by like using complex words and something. And that couldn't be today further away from the truth because the only way you're going to make a difference is by really being able to think like the people you're trying to convince and keep it as simple as you can mm-hmm. because you really you will only understand uh, convince them if you really understand them that's it i see and i think so uh, mm-hmm. to add to to add to flow's point what has also changed is 
there were and there, there still are people who will go in a room trying to you know look uh, or show that you know they, they they are there and they 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 know enough and whatever but the the people on the client side have also changed to call out that kind of bullshit oh i mean bullshit or maybe call out that kind of shallow knowledge or being on the other side and knowing that okay what you're telling me is still very limited and they understand that i i don't think you have understood enough to give us a solution because they will ask you or they'll probably pick holes in what you have given them a solution and and that will be more than enough for you to know that okay what i've done is not enough clearly so the client side is you know it it also really really helps that you know when people say okay you know i'm working with a very difficult client they're very demanding i would say that will be the best thing that that can that can happen to you and your project if you have someone who is very demanding and if you have someone who knows their shit completely and they're not just there to like throw their weight around because they're at that position because they are going to question you so much because it's almost like they're playing the devil's advocate and it is going to strengthen or it is going to tweak and fine tune your solution even more because they all their job is to pick holes and it's for you to do the best job so that you know you can you can do it you can do it at, at the best capacity you have that's what i think i mean i i would love to always work with someone who's always challenging you uh and your your solutions or anything that you're saying it, it helps so my next question would be around validations um and how would you prepare yourself to convince your clients and and what sort of thinking behind it um for instance amazon they have tons of data right uh, uh they can tell you that okay 20% of the user drop off uh at the middle of the buying process because maybe the button is not correct or the wording is not correct but then again for it, the gas or all company uh, the, the example that you mentioned they don't have any data that's related to the website and how would you prepare that i think user testing is one of the things uh, one very uh, important uh, tool that we use uh, and you know just standing there and selling a solution mm -hmm. sometimes doesn't work if the client actually knows uh, what you're trying to do then you know maybe but but one of the things what i found from the time i got into ux as you know as as compared to what we used to do earlier when we did our websites and flash and all there was no user testing we did what we thought was right we did we, mm -hmm. we did what we thought was cool mm -hmm. and we liked it and mm -hmm. for the most part because that was a trend and you know that was something very cool and very trendy we 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 thought okay this menu is going to be used by whatever exquisite people but i'm very sure the kind of stuff that we did then maybe there were too many people who didn't even use it but we didn't care mm -hmm. the good thing about what happens here in ux is because of all these methodologies and because of all the processes that are put in place there is you can't say that okay everything is done and everything is working just because you think it is i think this whole very strong layer that has been added at least from from me which is completely new that i learned that keeping firstly understanding the user from your perspective saying that okay you know let me understand who they are that is where all the you know building of personas and all of that comes in and before you want to even make sure uh, you you want to say whether a solution works or not you have to test it with the right kind of users 
that is the only way to validate it. And that is one of the most strongest tools that I think uh, helps sell that design to the client as well. Mm -hmm. But I think, so you, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. So you always validate uh, your your designs before you show it to, to, to the client? I mean, we, we've, we showing it to the client is not the important part. It is validating it because then validation takes that design to the next level. It's like, you know, the whole iterative loop, the, the whole agile way of making sure that, mm -hmm. okay, you know, either your, your flow is working or not working. So validating that with users, it, it basically validates your solution. You know, you keep, you keep testing and you keep tweaking until you reach a stage where, okay, you know, it actually has worked. This used to happen in software development, by the way, UAT, user mm -hmm. acceptance testing is what UT is right now uh, for mm -hmm. websites, for apps, for anything mm -hmm. else. And you know, that's something which it's almost like a solid evidence that you have when you want to sell your design. You don't really have to sell it, but you mm -hmm. just have to put it in front of clients. When, you know, clients, especially the ones who say, okay, no, no, no I, I don't think that's going to work. I think I it should be done in this way. And you say, no, it should not be done in this way because this is what your users are saying. So when it's backed up with some kind of, uh, you know, proof and that we haven't made up and this is what we have done, we've conducted, there's usually less chances of the client pushing back saying, okay, I don't give a shit. It, it's not to say that it doesn't happen. There are clients who have completely disregarded what users have said because that guy's daughter liked pink color and that header was pink. So you can't really say no to that. I mean, it still happens, but that's, that's your best uh, shield. It's not a weapon, but that's your best shield to, uh, to know that, you know, you've done your bit and it's, it's been tested. And that helps you to sell your design in my opinion. But I'm sure Flo has uh, maybe a, more other examples. I was trying to sketch something in the meantime. Uh, I've been I've been failed <laughs> by failed by my uh, water pen. So here it is. This is my minimalistic Mona Lisa. And I'd like to argue that this is a better painting than the original. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Okay. Could you tell me why not? Better than one. Like, do you think just, do, do, okay, what do you think? Do you think the, the, the original Mona Lisa is, is, is better? Or do you think that this one is better? I and think just tell me what you really think. So I think Mona Lisa is better because one, it has a significant historical value behind it and it has been debated by the scholars for years. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, when he came up with the idea, it took him years and struggle and a lot of pains just to come up with the idea, just to come up with the, um, uh, the painting technique. And also the meaning behind Mona Lisa itself, the way she gazes to the left, I think, if I'm mistaken, and the way the composition works. It has a greater meaning, and it took him years just to think about that. So compared to your um, design that you created just now, I think Mona Lisa is better. But this one's better because it uses less ink. Uh, it's actually minimalistic. In only three mm -hmm. clean strokes, you understood an entire concept that it's a person and that the person is smiling. Also, um, because it's made on a post-it, I can move it around in different places. I can put it upside down. Uh, I can I can re I can reproduce it easily. I can uh, make um, 
I can show it to zoom in just in just my pocket that I can carry it on me. And people come up, you will find clients that will come mm -hmm. up with excuses for the, what seems to you as completely unjustifiable mm -hmm. all the mm -hmm. time. And this mm -hmm. is why it's good to, that, that's a long detour to answer your question about how do you get clients to, 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 to approve. I may give the, 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 the right answer, of course, because it's, it's, it's not about having opinions. It's about agreeing what we should do to, to answer is you and me at the beginning of the conversation, we establish a framework that says, whatever we're going to see now, this is how we will decide that this is what good looks like. So if we agree upfront that our main criteria are going to be portability, flexibility, agility, or that it's going to be how many people know about it, and it's going to be how many hours of work went into it, and it's going to be how much technical mastery or how realistic it is. Um, so that's something that you do. It's that maybe, maybe my, my first few months, uh, <laughs> I didn't know how to do well. And this is something that you have to pick up really quickly is you need mm -hmm. to be to, to take out all the objectivity from the discussion. Uh, sorry, the subjectivity. And that mm -hmm. doesn't always happen by saying, oh, these are the laws of UX, because if you find somebody that doesn't care about them, they will just keep on denying and you'll have to find something better than that. And better, as always, means more relevant and more personalized to them. And so that means have this conversation at the beginning before you start designing anything, before you start mm -hmm. the new research and say, guys, or what do you think good looks like? What what do you really want? And then you have another layer, which is after you research, you start from this is what good looks like and you justify, okay, guys, this is what good looks like and let's agree to that. That's based, th this extra there is based on your research because, and you justify that. And you go little, little by little into having a clear definition of what good looks like and you validate that one. And that's the only way, it's like almost thinking like a lawyer or like a, mm -hmm. like a rhetorician, you know? Get people to agree to this, and then to this, and then to this, and then to that. And because they can't break the logical chain, then mm -hmm. they say, oh, fuck, but yes, I did agree to this, and then I did agree to that. So you define those principles very early at the beginning. And then there's one very important point is, I, I heard you ask, Amit, oh, but do you test every single time? And probably the expected answer, because you started by saying, hey, we have this Amazon that have like thousands of millions of users and it's easy to find data points. Mm -hmm. And whereas when I go on my little project on my streets uh, with my little restaurant, well, I, I don't have that. Right? I have two users. What, what do I do? Mm -hmm. Well, what's extremely important to always measure, even if you have two people mm -hmm. and then increase on that knowledge. So. You remember in the beginning when we said we're gonna have like a small um, a small amount of principles that we agree to with, with let's mm -hmm. say my client or whoever I'm supposed to, to convince. Mm -hmm. You're gonna start with that and say these are my principles, and based on that, I will go and test this over Mona Lisa, and maybe you'll realize wait a second. From what I see here, I think that um, I spoke to five more people and I realized that they were all saying something different. Maybe we need to add more criteria. And that's, that's actually a scientific endeavor, if you think about it. You go from the known to the unknown by uh, verifying, and, and you say, until proven wrong, right? So this is what we think science is, until proven wrong. And the same applies to design. It's like, we think that this is what the design should, the design principles, and therefore, the, 
um, the measurement framework should be. You don't care. You, you, there's, there's no saying that this is better than that. There's only the agreeing on what the framework should be. And if need, you do your scientific revolution, which is to challenge the framework. And the only way you do that is by having your data and showing a better evidence and say, listen, uh, I tried something else and this goes against what you've, what you've done. And then you accept this new framework and based on you, this new framework, you say, oh no, now this is better than that. So there's no needs. Uh, that's the difference, I guess. That's, that's the added value that our field of work has added to the discussion compared to the old school agencies is to say, listen, we will agree on what good looks like. And we will measure against it, no matter how small the means we have. Sometimes you only have two people. Well, you will use with those two people as a starting point. And then that's mm -hmm. why you realize that you need more than two people. But whatever small resources you have, you always, 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 always test. And you always find a proxy to test. And you never use lack of resources as an excuse for not testing. I think that's a very important message because if you use whatever small resources you have and you comply with an agreed framework, well, you have the best piece of evidence available out there, and therefore nobody can tell you that there is something better than your solution. Oh, if they can, then they will spend, they will give you extra resources to go and do larger, more complex um, definitions of what the truth is, definition of what good looks like, definition of, on how to measure and what to measure. So and that can change as well. So because you added more people, what you had with 100 people, but then now you tested with 1,000, maybe what you suggested will change. And you should be open for that yes. because that was testing only with hundred people, but then because they gave you more money and said, okay, no, we, we want even more, but you went to thousand by the time you reached thousand, this completely changed and that, that is okay. But at least it's validated and it's, it's, uh, you know, you have evidence for that. As long as you have evidence, I think that, 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 that works. And I think this is also. At that point, you don't really have to be a salesperson to sell your design. You just need good evidence, good, strong, sound evidence. And uh, as long as you've collected that honestly, and you've done your, your bit of work in doing that, that should be good. You need to also be able to drop your ego on the side because like traditionally, you know, like old school designers thought, oh, this is, there's an absolutely fundamental difference between design and art. Right? Mm -hmm. Art, you do it for its own sake. Design, you do it to, to serve a purpose. And what we do is to design. We don't do art. Although, hopefully it also makes you happy because you probably do better work if it does make you happy. But this brings us back to testing, right? You need to be ready when you design like three different versions of the, the website that you're referring to, to say, fuck, they picked the worst one. But they, but they did pick it. Doesn't so matter. you move exactly. on. So you just <laughs> yeah. move on. And that's, that's, and, and, and you need to learn to break that ego inside of you, like piece by piece. After you've done it enough times, you're completely comfortable with this. You're like, fine, that's, that's, that's fine. I don't care. You, 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 you still care. You still put your best into all those variations, but you, you become more agile, more flat, like, like the same way startups today, you know, the lean startups learn to break and item and pivot on their business model because they realize that wait, what they thought it's good, doesn't work, they need to change direction. And that's yeah. that's evolution, right? That's that's whoever is able to adapt the fastest to ever-changing parameters. It also changes you as a person internally because firstly, you start getting way less uh, attached to things 
the the quick the quicker you learn like in your initial days like let's say you're trying to get into ux the first thing you need to give is like you know like like flo rightly said give up your ego and start getting detached to things like you know the 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 part where it differentiates a designer or a graphic designer from a ux designer is that whole ego factor how come you say things or how come you have criticism about what i've created it's like if you criticize that which means you've criticized me and my talent and my work and it's all about me the quicker you are able to give that up it's like it's not about me no matter what i've done if it doesn't work it doesn't work i should be feeling bad because this is it's not about they they're, they're not saying anything to me i still have the ability to create something else what i created just didn't work so i still have the ability to go back to my drawing board and create something else something that actually works it doesn't matter whether it's not about me the quicker you understand that this is not about me this is about my user my end user you put them first it's all about you know eventually you know being less detached killing your ego having empathy all of that is very organic visceral process that eventually happens or maybe should happen in a person who wants to be in this field what do you think flo i was thinking back to your original uh, uh, from the from the previous session when you when you were saying uh, you you have all these uh, um sex references and and the best i can then then i can think really someone who's who's fantastic in bed is never going to be all about themselves like it just doesn't work this way like because you need to understand what makes a person tick and to deliver on that as close as possible to to what their ideal scenario or very very exciting scenario would be and that is mm -hmm. so personal and so different between two any two different individuals i know what i mean what i mean like so <laughs> 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 go ahead <laughs> right well i don't so <laughs> anyway um, <laughs> but but yeah that's that's the, the really because we design experiences right it needs to be about the person that you designing for and the people that you designing for so yeah can't be about you yeah i agree with that it's all about managing your ego right by the end of the day uh the design will be used by your users so not by yourself you're designing for somebody else that's why you need to think about that people your intended target audience Okay. So my next question would be um design methodology. So we know that IDEO for instance has one and Google has material design. What sort of design methodology that you guys are using at the moment? Um I can speak for myself. I don't uh, uh, there is there is obviously a method but it's not like a method that okay let me do this this and this it's not it's not step 1 2 and 3 it's now after a few years like maybe initially when i started in this obviously you know because there were there was new information there was new knowledge so i was keeping track of things like did i do this did i do that's almost like you know it's like a mental checklist of things did i did i do this enough did i did i check did i uh, have i considered micro interactions have i done this have i done that but now over the years when you when you when you keep designing uh the other thing that also changes or, or, or what what the way i have 
uh, changed in a way in how I look at things is I've become a little more observant, mm-hmm. like the apps or anything that I use earlier, I used to use it. And because the way it was designed was so good and so nice. It's almost like, you know, the one thing to say is the design, if the design is really good, you don't notice it because it is so, it is so seamless. It just works. And it is, it is almost like it didn't even let you feel that you were doing something. It just, it just happened. Any example? The one that you saw. So a simple example would be like, you know, let's say how, um, like you're using Gmail for, for all uh-huh. these days, like you're using, uh, let's say how mail is. And, you know, if you want to, to have like a new mail, you just pull down and it refreshes. Everything has been built in, you know, all, all the functionality or everything, or even, even for that matter, you know, how, how Apple works, like they, all of these companies, like, you know, Google, Apple, or any of these big companies, whoever, you know, when they went to like product design, they have done all these things. They have, they have kept these very small, very subtle interactions or they've built into that, you know, very, very process so much so that you don't even notice. Like sometimes like, you know, that, that haptic uh, feedback that you have on your phone, when something happens, it just gives that, you know, slight, slight bit of, uh, uh, you know, the vibration that happens. It's there, but you don't notice Mm-hmm. Like not on a daily basis, you don't notice. Oh, something happened there. No, it just happened because you you know it it was some, there to convey something else. It was doing that. So there are a lot of these. Like you know, if if you know, eventually you get to this one stage where um, you because you are a designer. Like I started noticing these things mm-hmm. as oh, this was really good, which was almost like you know it was you know my my sort of education. Like you know what what is good, what was good design for me then. I started noticing a lot of these things and that sort of became uh, uh, like, you know, something for me to keep a track of, like, you know, for me to convey this, this, and this message or for me to, uh, you know, do this functionality in a better way. I think that was, that was a nice way of doing it. So in terms of methodology, I think I, now I just have a pattern of all of these things, uh, you know, like a mental pattern or, I mean, I, I maintain like mm-hmm. a small list of things that I keep going mm-hmm. back to. It's almost like, uh, you know, like my bookmark kind of thing where they are all these, you know, best practices, good to haves, mm-hmm. nice to have. And then you see where I can use all of these, you know, in, in what capacity and in what, what small, small way, subtle, you know, micro interactions doing this, doing that in trying and making the design as, um, what do you say? It's, it's more, um, intuitive yes but then it's it's more uh, you know it, it's it's sort of using the sense of touch it's using the sense of you know like i mean mostly it's it's visual but mm-hmm. trying to trying to you know have it as right under the skin it's not in your face kind of thing you know that that kind of design that you're kind of I, I don't know if i'm able to put that across clearly but mm-hmm. then it's mostly like you know using a combination of all of these to make the whole thing as, as visceral and as subtle as possible and getting it across. So that I don't have a methodology, but this is, I have, I have a collection of a lot of these things, which I can, I use as combination. That's what, that's what I do. What about now? There's a lot of great stuff in what I mean. There's a lot of great concepts that, that I've been using right now. Um, there, there, there's the fact that you know it was like referring to invisible UI or invisible interface. Like 
and the fact that something should come intuitively and naturally. And so what, how does that apply to how we approach a client? Well, we know that you, you were referring to like, for instance, Google frameworks, like material yeah. design. Material design, yeah. Right, and what we have to do in our job, which is we kind of stuck between people who change all the time and at the same time never really change or change very, very slowly, mm -hmm. <laughs> I say. So that's, that's everything that has to do with like deep human traits, you know, like, mm -hmm. like oh, we want to feel like we belong or we want to feel understood or we want <laughs> to be satisfied or like to get what, to get what we want with the least amount of effort possible. We're lazy, things like that. And trains and frameworks that do evolve over time, especially the longer you've been in, in, in an industry, the more you'll notice that it's like, oh yeah, there was the era of flash or like there was the era of material design or the era of AI. And so that's the difference between those very long-term trends that you need to always bear in mind and the ones that are contextual. Now, there's one of the principles of usability that is to not fight established patterns. Uh, and a typical example, canonical would be like <laughs> people were, were asking, should I use an, a hamburger menu or not? Well, at the beginning, no, you should not because it's so weird. But then after enough years and enough people being exposed to this, then you'd rather use it because it, becomes a thing, right? Just like using a new word that becomes integrated in, in, in a language. Uh, like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry about the example, but like there was this uh, this girl in my project that was, that was using occur as, as like a, occur or whatever I can't say. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a shitty trend Fashion words that I hate, like you and I, yeah, you and I, we wouldn't know it. I think I, I heard, I heard one of the guys. He's heard it, and like the, and like the moment enough people, it's so like, hope. Yeah, it's, it's like we are occur, occur or some shit. Yes, exactly. What? And I was, I was, what anyway, I got so irritated. Yeah, I, I think it's from a serial. And there was this one guy who constantly kept using that. And every time I used to work, I was like, what the fuck is he saying? And it so turns this? out it's from a serial. It, it's, it's irritating now. <laughs> it's irritating as fuck, right? And this is the equivalent of your hamburger menu the first time it was introduced. People were like, what the fuck? It doesn't even have the word menu. How much three lines yeah, yeah, yeah. What the fuck does it mean? Like this is this is weird. And I pray that it never happens because I find this expression atrocious. But like there's a lot of expressions that we use today that were not used a hundred years ago, right? Like Chana, I'm Chana. T R Y N A. I'm Chana. Mm. Like if you don't if you say, Oh, I am trying to, like you're gonna sound weird, right? Oh, I'm just trying to do something. Well, that is something that eventually becomes a pattern, just like the same way the hamburger menu eventually became a pattern. Now, today, if you don't have a hamburger menu on your app or some variation of it, or like three, mm -hmm. you know, like you have, you have three dots now, you know, mm -hmm. like two to indicate options, things eventually become conventions. You need to be aware of those, and that's your trend part. And so when you're working with clients, yes, you do need to refer to some trends because you need to be aware that this is what you people are thinking of right now. This is the zeitgeist, you know, spirit of the time. Mm -hmm. However, what is a lot more important than this is to bear in mind those long-term trends such as when you, you're always going to, Amit, Amit's going to, was saying, I change my approach every time. Like I have my intuition, but it changes every time because again, remember you need to be contextually relevant. So you need to have those patterns in mind, you know, those building blocks. Okay, everyone has them. So what do we do with that? So that's your personalization. 
but you also have those things that never change. What never changes when we approach a project is to listen first, understand the problem first before mm -hmm. we create a solution, for instance. So you would always start with some form of research, always. Otherwise, if you just jump into something, it's just like um, shooting, shooting in the dark. Is that the expression? Taking a shot in the dark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shooting in the dark, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I have some basis will, before you start, yeah. Yeah, there, there will be every, every single client is going to be, let's say, your 20% <laughs> of unspoken underlying routine knowledge, but you need to have room for flexibility every single time and reinvent your process every single time. I'm sure that if you speak to the guys who made Google Material Design now, if they're, if they're that good, they probably have changed and tweaked it 20, 30, 50 times between the moment it was initially published and now. Like there were, there were articles that were talking about, you know, we, we use a lot the, oh, we should only test with five users for usability testing because some dude, uh, Norman, Norman said, yeah. you know, Norman, always brought them up. They, they said like uh, 20, 25 years ago, oh yeah, so we did this. By the way, it has some statistical basis, so it was like solid back in the day. If you were to redo the same test today, you would have probably very different results. And so that's why, you know, science, again, back to something we said 20 minutes ago, science is always good at that time. It's the best we have mm -hmm. until the next time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and this one that you're saying, I, I actually wanted to make the same point when you're doing the user testing, uh, because, you know, again, these guys had set this number, they had these stats and, you know, these numbers that they, they went back in the day where the minimum number of people you need to test is eight. And after eight, you know, the, the, uh, your responses from new users, they become repetitive. So it's the same thing, same pattern or same response over and over again. So I think eight is a sort of golden number for enough user research to get like a, a mixed view or a, or a, you know, like a different view for you to make a decision. And I still think eight is too less in today's day and age. It does not work. It, it, it worked then people went with eight and anyone who went with that eight saying, Oh no, no, right. It's said by Nelson Norman. Let's just stick to that and just go ahead. Like who the fuck said it, it works today. What is the basis for that? Mm -hmm. There is no new paper or whatever. And there is nothing to say. I mean, trust me, you know, there's this one project which me and uh, Flo had worked on. Uh, it was about, it was about, you know, road and transports. Mm -hmm. And we spoke to, we spoke to a good number of people, like way more than like 12 or 15. And trust me, you spoke to 15 people. All 15 had such interesting insights and different views. I'm thinking, where the fuck did that number five or eight come from? Like it may be back in the day it was, but then, you know, when you have to like produce some kind of a white paper or anything, you need some kind of very solid numbers and solid evidence. Maybe, okay, fair enough. I'm not saying that it was fake. Yeah, there must've been, but the number of people have changed. The population has changed. The, the, you know, trends have changed. People's mindsets have changed. There are new number of users. That thing will not work today. I see. So, you know, you sticking to that thing saying, okay, you know, five numbers, seven numbers or eight is good. And that's enough for you to have evidence that, okay, that, that works, doesn't work. So maybe that has not changed, but I think on a, on, on a personal level, when, you know, people are doing individual projects, maybe people are doing it personally. Like see, when you're speaking to someone who has, um, 
you know like like a startup mm-hmm. i'm very sure the startup companies are not just going by that kind of research they will do like their sandbox testing with like 100 1000 users and you know that very quick iteration fail fast and all of that all of these new startups and all they, they will not survive going on sticking to let's do only with eight users that fucking thing is not going to give you any kind of good result so you know having that as some kind of basis like okay it's good in theory but it's best that if you're working on some pro- product or if let's say if you're a product manager of a company and you're building this one product which is going to completely let the revolutionize and change you better not stick to what was said in the past as as good practice yeah you know you you need to you need to change or you need to innovate you need to have like lot more numbers for you to be very sure that this is validated design or whatever so what sort of pipeline do you have basically a brief comes in you create the design or you create the sketches uh, using the design sprint method and then you do the research that sort of validate your hypothesis and after it you you do a focus group with a few people for their insights you compile the data and then sort of bring that to the clients um would that be the process so in terms of uh, pipeline i think i think so do you want to take a stab at that the whole i, I, I don't like that question <laughs> <laughs> okay that's good <laughs> i said this again for um the research you know like firstly there is there is uh, either uh, you know you do like your 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 typical research where you're looking at information uh, on the subject uh, that you are uh, you know working with uh, the kind of uh, you know the product the industry or whatever then you do like your benchmarking benchmark is basically looking at um, uh you know all the things that are related to that industry or uh, the client then you do a different kind of benchmarking that is they are competitive competitors uh it depends what kind of product you are making where you could you could use uh, a focus group or you can do a one on one interview so there are there are a lot of these things there are there are these multiple tools and a combination of all of these things uh that eventually you know lead up to the wireframe stage is way ahead mm-hmm. so there is a lot of this initial research phase that goes on where you know you have you know sound and good amount of information which needs to be presented to the client as findings i mean that that's what we we worked with where the client then you know gets to know okay, you know this is what i'm looking at that's mm-hmm. that's all what the client doesn't do on their own is what we do for them like you know this is what your competitors are doing this is what they are saying uh there's a lot of uh, if there's an existing company then you do a lot of analytics research so it's a combination of thing it depends on what you're doing for home whether it's a new product old product old product which means you're looking at past data if it's a new product then you're looking at uh, data from other companies so yeah again it's it's not the same thing okay it's all different okay. and at the end of the day how much budget the client has for all of this <laughs> that's very important uh, Yeah that's pretty interesting since we are on the topic of budget 
and money. Um, how much does a company need to spend when they want to, to have a good UI? It, it all depends. It all depends on how, how much, like what, what is the company trying to do? How, how aware they are of how this exercise and how much that exercise is going to help them. Mm-hmm. The more aware they are, the more, the, the more open they are to, you know, going ahead with that. Um, I and I think now in Middle East, you know, the one thing I find more common is clients have now changed because like I said, the people sitting on the client side, the people in charge are a lot more smarter as well. They know that, okay, our old ways of being that egoistic, you know, guy saying, okay, I don't give a shit. I want this and this, it's not going to work. They know that, okay, it's we calling the shots is not the right way. It is, it is, you know, let's, let's get some experts or let's get some professionals who are going to actually find out from people and bring to us what we need to do for our customers. Mm-hmm. So they, they understand that. And I think in terms of budget that you're talking about, um, it, it, it all, like I said, you know, there are different companies who understand or uh, know, you know, how much value that thing is going to bring me. And that's, that's how they decide how much they want to spend. There are people who want to do that only because they want to do a checkbox. Like, Oh, I have a company and I need, I need an app. Why don't care. I just need an app because three others of my neighbors, they have apps. So I need one. You have those mm-hmm. clients. And there are the ones like, okay, I need to change with my time because my customers now need this and it is really affecting my business or maybe my business has reached the ceiling. And if I do this, which means things are going to happen more. So maybe I need to invest in this, this and this. So let me do that. So there are people who are taking wise decisions because they have reached like a certain kind of crossroad and they feel the need to do it. And there are certain people who are doing it only because they want a fucking app. Why? Because everybody has an app. <laughs> So they spend, they spend accordingly. Yeah. Okay. So the next question that I would like to ask is about accessibility. How far do you consider accessibility within your design? So let's say deaf people or people who is colorblind or paraplegic people. So I've spoken about this subject to a few acquaintances of mine in the United States and Europe. Uh, according to them, the United States and Europe has a really clear regulations about accessibilities. Uh, basically, if your website uh, doesn't support people who have disabilities, is they cannot publish their websites because it's mandatory for them to cater within this demographic. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, it's a, it's an important aspect uh, of our of our work. And where we are lucky uh, those days is that there are standards that are well established. Uh, where we are less lucky is uh, what is less established is the understanding of why those rules were created, who they were created for, and how far we should uh, apply them. Accessibility is like uh, is like an inf- infinite goal, right? Um, because there will always be a new type of constraint that makes an experience inaccessible. For example, um, you could argue that if you close your eyes, I can't see your beautiful uh, background anymore. Therefore, it's not accessible from that uh, from that angle. 
Yeah, exactly. Well done. <laughs> um, okay. So accessibility is really something that we tend and we, we it, it it's a goal. So you never you never you never fully reach it. So there's a difference between compliance, which is uh, getting levels of accreditation based on a number of on a very large number of criteria, by the way. And the closer, imagine an exponential curve, the closer you get to your goal, the more expensive it is to, to, to strive towards it. So similarly to your, uh, to the normal, uh, norma, Norman principle that we were talking about, how many users to test with, how far should you, you go with accessibility also depends on how far are you willing to go. Uh, you, you can become an accessibility, uh, Developed and just choose to be absolutely accessible. But for instance, you will be AAA compliant on every single page, on every single button. You end up with a book. This is going to be, this is perfectly accessible, uh, an audio book. You know, like imagine this with a with a with a voice interface, and this is. So there's there's always a balance to find. Um, you want at the end of the day to be able to reach to the broadest possible audience without ruining yourself. Because if you have to get your business down for the sake of accessibility of five people, um, and if you could argue that, it, I, I think that even with government products that I've worked on, they say we, we, we set a cap to how far we can go. If you wanna have your seven to one contrast ratio on every single piece of text, every single button, it ends up being um, pretty, pretty dry. So it's, it's, it's really a balance to find to make sure that anybody can use what you want to do. And there's going to be some form of alternative for them to, to, to navigate it. A lot of the accessibility standards for what you would consider your average project is catered to by devices today, right? So, and, and web standards. So for instance, uh, if you care about the font size on, on your mobile app, well, you might know that uh, if there are accessibility settings today that are controlled from your device itself, uh, and these are like the most important ones. So this is why you have frameworks like Material Design that just tell you as far as uh, you respect your minimum, uh, you know, button size of 44 points uh, for a button. Don't worry about the rest. We got you. But that's that's just standards. If you want to comply, it's just like the same way if you want to comply with user testing. Or if you really want to push it, then you could go and actually do the test that they do to establish standards. So, and, and then go about and test with your people with, um, you know, like any, any form of impairment. And by the way, impairment is not something permanent necessarily. Uh, accessibility is, is, you could have accessibility issues like I had when I twisted my wrist and I needed to change the type of device that I was using. Or you have accessibility issues when you're running with your phone because you can't speak at the same time and you can't really see what you're doing. So there's a need for a different type of interface again. So if you want to get it right, test in the context that is the most relevant to your budget, to the type of users they have and the context of use that they have. Yes, do follow standards because they're here for a reason, but don't try to go over, overboard unless you're a body that is, whose role it is to define those kind of thresholds. Like just, just because you might have extreme users 
that you might design something for people that don't have arms. I don't know what. Um, cool, and it's 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 great, and it's it's probably uh, not relevant if you're doing a drumming app, because those guys probably are not your audience in the first place, and that's okay. And uh, just I, I think the best way to get there is comply with standards, but really test with the people that are really relevant to your product in the first place. And then you'll 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 get there. I say with with those two angles, you should you should be fine. Yeah, like for instance, when you when here, most commonly when you're doing sites that are for government or federal government, where you know you have to have you need to be inclusive of anyone, regardless of whatever. Mm. Every user needs to be able to uh, use that site if it's a government or a federal one, and you have to make sure that your standards are are. Uh, like accessibility is is as as important as anything else because you will have those number of, then it doesn't matter whether oh uh, the number of uh, you know people with uh, color blindness or or uh, number of people who are are let's say you know hearing impaired are only 1% doesn't matter it's a government site it needs to be inclusive of everything so that's when you know it it you cannot leave that out then you you, you do whatever it, it takes to make sure that your website is accessible to everyone. If it's a very, uh, you know, very uh, focused product-based site like like Floyd mentioned, yeah, I mean, there are ways. There there are times where you can leave them out because you still care about the majority. And the ones who are, who are left out, they're not losing out on it. It's not like you wanted them, and these guys wanted your site as 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 badly as the others, but then they can't because you're you're, you're you didn't you didn't think of accessibility. It's okay to leave them out. So it, it depends who you're doing it for, what kind of audience you want to make sure that they're inclusive or not, and, and, and go from there. Oh, <coughs> I was just trying to give like practical advice, right? Because like 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 going back to the original point, there's there's two visions around accessibility. One is that is this uh, ideal that you're trying to reach, and and the other one is like okay, so what do we do with practical limited budget? So yes, if you start simple and small, it's good. It's a good idea to follow frameworks. Like most uh, very, there's there's random frameworks out there. The most common frameworks that you have, they've already in order to establish themselves as a framework. And whether it's from a coding standpoint, by the way, whether it's from a design standpoint, uh, to become a framework, well, you need to be large enough, therefore, to cater to enough and uh, large enough audiences. And this is why it's usually tackled at that level. And if you code in a specific framework, usually, for instance, you will already have, um, for instance, alt text, right? It's already going to happen. Um, it's it's going to be part of your base. You don't need to create a specific property that is alt text because they would know that if there's an image, there's going to be a, a prompt for it. However, or similarly, like you don't need, uh, they, they, if you work with material design, you know that if you, uh, follow specific font size. If you don't go below 14, uh, then you should be you should you should be fine. Or oh, 16, sorry. You, you you should be fine in most cases. You can always find extreme cases in which you know that wouldn't work, and that's why you still do testing. Because if you use, for instance, an extremely shitty font, it doesn't matter if you're using uh, if you're using like a large font size. People won't really be able to read. So there's there's two two layers. One is like the standards. And always sense check with your people. I see. I see. The one so, thing I wanted to mention mm -hmm. about material design, sorry, uh, because Flo's mentioned that 
and you've, you've spoken about material design in the past as well, where, you know, you're talking about methodologies and patterns. Uh, very recently, like maybe last year or year before, I think, um, um, material design was, was, you know, was set up as this nice, you know, strong set of rules, nice, you know, a collection of rules across everything, you know, for interactions, for colors, for, uh, you know, for, for different patterns, for buttons, and they really went down to detail. And they were, you know, the material design methodology was set and uh, people were using that. It was, you know, uh, apps were very usable. The problem they faced at the end of, you know, whenever material design was, was introduced and, and maybe a few years later until very recently is every app that used material design, they all started looking the same. And that was an issue. Although they all were working, they all worked very well. The designs were fine. They, they were very usable, but every single app, they started looking exactly the same. So it's only very recently they said, okay, you know what? That's, that's good. But that's where you understand that, okay, you can't just have everything functional and working very well. It gets monotonous. It is a product. You need to feel good at the end of the, at the end of the experience. Which is why they very recently introduced this one thing where your pattern, your material pattern, design pattern remains the same, but you have this one uh, switch or that one additional functionality they did where you can iterate on different UI patterns. So your apps don't start looking exactly like the same. So this is where I found like, you know, the UI part was really important where functionally everything was working fine, but that you you they also need to consider this one part where it it gets boring at after a while to look at the same kind of apps ah, that are different yeah, companies yeah. using material design but the same kind of apps and and google realizes that's why they added this functionality like yeah now your material design patterns are going to be the same but now you can have apps that are looking different which they figured out like you know you need to even care about the aspect that i think the users do get bored and the same monotonous shit over and over again. So mm -hmm. let's change that. So which was good in, 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 in my opinion that, okay, Apple never had that. Like Apple have, has these designs, but they really do look, you know, quite different. So Google figured that out. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's not because Google designs, if you see, they are highly usable. They are extremely intuitive, but then they figured out, yeah, I mean, it fucking, it's boring at the end of the day. So let's, let's change that as well. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. So if you look at Android apps, um, now nowadays the trend is to follow the material designs, and because of that, most of the apps are you know they have a uh, 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 the same looks and feel. But they they do tend to look like you know very very like it, it's the same pattern. Yeah, I mean it, it's good because there is the your learning curve is completely gone. The it's it's very intuitive. Mm -hmm. you, you don't have to think. Yeah, you but can that, download libraries basically. Yeah, it's a libraries, but but at the at the same time, it's like you know you you're putting some kind of a ceiling to how creative you can get. Oh, that's true. That's true. So which is why that's these guys said, okay, let's, let's change that. That's true. So well, it's iftar now <laughs> to break my fast. Although it's pretty, it's truly interesting. What do you think, guys? Do you want to continue with the next session, or what do you think? Or... Another time, another time. Let's go eat. Hey. I'm also hungry. <laughs> we, can, we can do this another time. I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's interesting. Like it's the first session and it's, it's nice to, you know, actually talk about things like the things that you do on a daily basis, which are very subconscious. It's only 
the first time now that you're actually speaking about what you did without without uh, thinking about it. Yeah, that's true. When talking about something in details, sometimes we discover some hidden meaning behind it, right? Or maybe something that we already thought about it before, but then again, we discuss it with other people and then we can see it from different perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's good to, it's almost like thinking aloud everything that you've done, you know, being quiet falls right. Sorry, guys. Unfortunately, I have to end the podcast. Um, thank you so much for your time. We've gained a lot of great insights. I do have more questions that I would like to ask. Um, maybe we can do it for the next sessions. All right, listener. That's it for our first episode of Human Pod. If you have any feedback, I'm going to create a Facebook page for this. Uh, please leave a comment or anything or any suggestion for the next topics. Thank you very much and goodbye. Have a nice day.